You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly, as always, bringing this show. Glad to be joined on the show as always as well by my co-host, Doug. And I'm joined today on the show as well by Jody Smith. A lot of our listeners, I'm sure, will be following him on Twitter as well. Part of the team over at Gridiron Experts, it is Jody Smith. Uh, thanks for jumping aboard the show, Jody. Oh, absolutely, guys. I'm a big fan of the show. So uh, it was. Uh, I'm excited that you finally uh, invited me to be on, and, and I work with Doug very well. <laughs> We've talked before online several times, so uh, it's great to be on. Well, Thanks it's always it's always good when somebody's already talked to Doug prior to coming on the show because uh, Doug can be quite heated, and uh, it's good to have you back once again, Doug, on the show. But how's things going since I know the last few weeks we've mentioned the Cleveland Cavaliers fans giving you a hard time on Twitter. They have uh, gone all the way in. Uh, took the series home in Game 7. I'm not a big basketball fan. I do not watch very much of it, but uh, it's hard to mess with uh, all the talk going on on Twitter. How's things been going for you since the, the Cavs won the championship? Yeah, I, I didn't uh, I didn't talk as much trash about the Cavs. Yeah. Twitter blackout um, for Doug. <laughs> yeah, no, just I, I, I said, you know, congratulations and all that, and I still lose followers. So I think I'm going to just stick away from basketball in general. I mean, I barely know football as it is, so I will... Um, I'll just stick to what I barely know in this case. That's maybe the best way to do it sometimes. Uh, obviously, Jody, I mentioned your part. You're actually a co-owner over at uh, Gridiron Experts with Mike Riggs over there. And uh, just before we get into talking about all the factors that we've written down here in our topics in the show, just do you want to give a mention to any of the people who don't, uh, who have been living under a rock, who uh, don't know what Gridiron Experts are all about? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, we're your your full fledged fantasy side. Uh, you know, last year I spent some time writing for Pro Football Focus, but uh, I decided this year that uh, you know it would be to my benefit to spend all of my uh, my energies on the site that that helped found me back in 2011 when I first started writing, and that's Mike. Uh, Mike's Mike's brilliant at what he does, but uh, you know we're gonna we're, we offer up everything that 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 any fantasy fanatic would like to know. And I personally have uh, done all the projections, and I'm over uh, 300 players uh, <laughs> deep so far. We've got that available already, and uh, I've actually got the first update I'm working on right now, and just some some other stuff that uh, you know about to be published. So I'm really excited about it. And uh, now that the aforementioned NBA finals are behind us. Uh, this is when, uh, you know, the, the football fanatics come back and, uh, um, you know, this is the, this is the, what we've all waited for all winter. So I'm really yeah. excited to uh, turn the page and start the next season. Yeah, no, it is. It's really, this is, you know, the time we can, we are obviously talking about, uh, fantasy football, whether it's dynasty redraft and so on all year round. But now that the basketball is over, some of the other, maybe people who have been letting it slide a little bit, be starting to get in to looking in ahead to the new season. And as you mentioned there, the ranks and so on up there, it is pretty crazy. 300 players you've mentioned, you've uh, gone through already. It's uh, time consuming this, uh, this fantasy football. Yeah. Coming up with player projections. It's not something that you sit down and, uh, <laughs> A work through in an afternoon or not you have to take into a lot of factors when you're working on that kind of thing and you have to kind of know what you're doing i know doug has, has some experience doing that and, and it takes a long time you know it's something that will take you hours at a time and for weeks and months and there's just so many different factors at hand but you have to pay attention obviously to both sides of the ball and you've got to be familiar with tens and tendencies and you've got to stay up to date on the news and that's why here with the uh, fantasy football you know the craziness that it is there there is no off season as they always say and yeah, certainly not when 
certainly not when you're somebody that you know Cohen's aside and is is working so detailed on productions. It, uh, it is uh, a lot of work, and uh, you do a fantastic job over there. Usually, this is the part of the show now where I start to go through some of the news over the last week, but it has been a very quiet week news-wise. There's a couple of little topics and you know coach talk that's come out in the last few days, and we'll leave that to, towards the end of the show. There's just a few snippets of that there. But uh, as news goes, it's been a very, very quiet week in the NFL, and the next four or five weeks are pretty much going to be quiet as well. So it gives us a lot of time to start to look into rankings, look into where players are going in uh, drafts, you know, ADPs and so on. And to get into them first, uh, we're going to start with Randall Cobb of the Green Bay Packers. Obviously a player who two years ago had a very, very nice season, caught a lot of touchdowns. I think he had 10 touchdowns two years ago. And looked like he was really going to have a step forward last year then. Obviously we know that Jardy went down in the preseason and he's coming back into the, the team again after that knee injury. But Randall Cobb, somebody who didn't uh, you know hit the heights that some people would have expected last year but when you take away that number one outside receiver away from him uh, you know he's not somebody who's going to beat double coverage on a regular basis so Randall Cobb is a player at the minute that I think uh, his value is starting to drop a little bit too low um, I'll let uh, Doug go first on this one why is there no love at the moment uh, for Randall Cobb and if you think there's maybe no reason to have any love don't be afraid to say say that either but uh, I think that the, the value has started to drop a little bit too low yeah, I'm I'm really surprised. When in 2014, I, I looked at this earlier. Um, Randall Cobb finishes the number six wide receiver in uh, standard football in standard fantasy football, I should say. Um, Joey Nelson was on the field when they had a solid run game, and in last year he finished I think wide receiver 25 as well. Um, so definitely a drop off. But Joey Nelson's back. He hasn't suffered any setbacks from what we've heard. Um, they really didn't add to their run game, which makes me think that they're very confident in Eddie Lacy, um, especially all that they did really is re-sign um, James Starks. So it'll be interesting to see, but um, where we've seen him be picked so far, um, it, it's surprising because I think that Randall Cobb, he's still, I think, 25 years old. He's still got Aaron Rodgers throwing him. He's going to be the 1B sort of receiver, as I call him, to to uh, Joey Nelson's 1A. And I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him replicate sort of what he did in 2014, over 90 receptions, over 1,200 yards, I believe, and I think 10 touchdowns. Maybe those are too high of a numbers, but I could still see 85 receptions. I could still see 1,100 to 1,150 yards, maybe eight touchdowns. It's really surprising how far his value has dropped, but I, I love it. And I wish it was in August because then I could actually take him <laughs> and, and somebody in my drafts. But um, yeah, it's, it's really surprising how people, you know, are, are quick to hate on somebody when they don't consider the outside factors. I think a big thing will be, can they have a sustainable run game? Because if they don't, they're going to be relied more on the pass game. And that might take some attention um, and put it more on Randall Cobb and Joy Nelson, who I believe is now 31. Now, he's, he's granted he's older as a wide receiver, but still, he's made a great recovery this offseason. No, res, you know, reported setback. So um, I love Randall Cobb as a top 10 wide receiver. Um, I think he, you know, nothing's really changed from 2014 other than they're a little bit older. But um, where he's being drafted right now, considering where he did last year, uh, I'd love to take him. So um, I just hope this picks up and uh, stays until August. So Yeah, it's pretty crazy as well when you think of it, how young he actually is coming. He came into the league as a 21-year-old and still going, uh, you know, got that new contract from the Packers last offseason. You mentioned as well, no setbacks for Nelson. Obviously, he got hurt in the preseason last year and, you know, he's had the ho- he's had a long, long time to recover, almost 12 months recovery, say 10 or 11 at this stage. So uh, I think we'll see no setbacks from him. Just I seen, as Doug was uh, talking, you were nodding, uh, you know, kind of in agreement with him. Anything yeah. else that uh, you want to add in there, Jody? 
Yeah, uh, I thought Doug was was spot on, uh, spot on here, and I know he just wrote an article. Uh, I believe it was published today at Inside the Pylon, talking about how uh, Randall Cobb was an excellent draft value, and, and I couldn't agree more. Even even your uh, projections there, Doug. Your, you know your problems last year were compounded by the fact that Jordy Nelson hobbled off the field, and you know the injury at the time didn't look that bad. Obviously, we know it became worse. So, what happened was Cobb then became the primary focus for all of the top cornerbacks that, that he faced last year. So you all saw him put a career low and average per, per catch. And, you know, he struggled against all that coverage, but also green Bay's offensive line was an issue last year. Uh, football outsiders had them ranked as the 25th uh, run blocking unit and 23rd in pass protection. So let's assume that, that green Bay can get their, their running game to bounce back a little bit. Obviously when you combine that with Jordy Nelson, you're going to have a big bounce back. But I'd like to point out real quick here, if we have the time on these numbers here, the seasons that Randall Cobb has played the secondary role to Jordy Nelson. When you look at 2012, Randall Cobb had 104 targets, caught 80 balls, 954 yards, eight touchdowns. Uh, He finished as the PPR wide receiver 16. In uh, 2013, it was injury ravaged season for him. I'll get back to that in a second. But 2014, Doug was talking about 127 targets, 91 catches, 1,287 yards, and 12 touchdowns. He finished PPR wide receiver eight. Last year, we knew he was wide receiver 26, where he struggled. Now, going back to 2013, Randall Cobb played in six games, but he got hurt. In reality, he only finished five full games. He saw 46 targets. He caught 31 balls. Anyway, I, I projected his numbers out. Pretend that pace had have been a 16 game pace. Well, Randall Cobb would have caught 100 he would have had 141 targets. He would have caught 93 balls for 1210 yards and 12 touchdowns. That's 290 PPR points. That year, he would have finished right behind Des Bryant. He would have been again wide receiver 8. Remarkably similar numbers to what exactly what he did in 2014, which was the last season that he and Jordy Nelson were healthy together. Yeah. So I expect Jordy Nelson to be excuse me, Cobb to be a huge value this year. I, I love owning him. I thought Doug's projections were spot on. I personally have him as my wide receiver 11. 86 catches, 1,181 yards, and eight touchdowns is what I have him projected for. And interestingly, he's wide receiver 11 to my wide receiver 10, which is Jordy Nelson. So I have them both as back-to-back clear wide receiver ones, and I love the value of, of uh, Cobb this year. Yeah, I agree with exactly what both of you said. And you mentioned, you know, back-to-back uh, in your rankings. A lot of people will say certain offenses can this offense sustain, uh, you know, two top 10 or two top 20 wide receivers. There's no doubt with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback uh, that that is very much sustainable. You mentioned the run blocking issues last year, not to mention the fact that Eddie Lacy was largely overweight. There's been a lot made of that this offseason. And I think probably some of the talk of Lacy and him slimming down has probably let Randall Cobb filter a little bit under the radar. Some, you know, casual uh, fantasy players are probably, you know, thinking that way as well. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, so I'm very biased, but I really enjoyed listening to you both. And I really have to agree with all the stuff that you really put in there. You mentioned that injury ravaged season and it was, uh, he broke his leg against the, the Ravens and came back late in the season, but, uh, you know, got injured again. So that didn't happen. But I think there's big things to expect this year, uh, particularly from the entire Green Bay offense. Just before we finish up on the Packers, obviously I mentioned Jordy Nelson on both of you. Um, how do you think you've mentioned him as the, the 10th uh, receiver overall? 
Jody going into this season and any injury worries or age worries going into it I I really don't have any because I think 31 for a wide receiver is you know it's perfectly fine and then when you look at his uh, injury I mentioned all the time that he's had to recover uh, confident in Nelson coming back to something like what we've seen two seasons ago yes I think he'll have a full flood the, the, the positive of when you have such a catastrophic injury like that it was that it was early so he's got yeah. he should have no no problems being ready you actually at this point you don't even really want him to play in preseason and he shouldn't need to but but having that deep speed element um bounce back to offense it's just going to be uh, very beneficial for all of green bay's offense which uh, again i'm not concerned i i think uh jordy nelson's right in his prime um you know when you look at dynasty you might want to start to consider that randall cobb uh, conversely, even though Randall Cobb has, has played several years, he's only 25. Yeah. Um, Randall Cobb, you would think, would be a little older than he is. So, uh, no, I don't have any concerns with Jordy Nelson's knee. I sounds like a, all indications are that, he, that he's fully recovered again. It was an early injury, so I expect he'll be about as close to 100% as someone uh, can be. And uh, you know, I'm excited to see uh, all these things come back together in Green Bay. And, and watch them get back. You mentioned you're a fan, and yeah. it, you know I think the league's better when you have an exciting offense like that on top. Yeah, I think particularly there's not many more exciting offenses to watch in the league. You mentioned the deep speed as well, and a lot of the time people forget that you know if he does those deep runs that it opens up things underneath for Randall Cobb to try and get you know catches yards after the catch and so on. So I think all that helps. And last year you've seen how important he is to the Green Bay offense. Moving on to Jeremy Macklin, Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver, somebody who put up a lot of nice weeks last year uh, finished as a wide receiver too do you think he can be a wide receiver too this season guys um obviously there's a lot of question marks around uh, alex smith sustaining and i talked about trying to sustain two top 15 wide receivers with the packers can uh, alex smith help jeremy macklin maintain a wide receiver two status this season i'll let doug go first of course so here's the thing they didn't really change much of their offense or their offensive play, you know, the playmakers. They kept uh, Travis Kelsey. Uh, they didn't really add a solid number two. I know they drafted, uh, no, they signed Rod Streeter. Um, they have Chris Conley. They have Albert Wilson. It's just a bunch of these guys trying to fight for the number two spot. Uh, running backs really didn't change. They have Jamal Charles coming back, uh, Charkandrick West, and uh, Spencer Ware. And uh, so I, I really do think it's possible. Um, I, I believe now Brad Childress is now the offensive coordinator now that Doug Peterson left. Um, and it'll be interesting to see because Doug Peterson, I, I think, now granted, some of it was Andy Reid, but it'll be interesting to see because they're obviously a slower tempo offense, I think. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Jeremy Macklin can be. Uh, I think he's coming off a relatively healthy 2015. He's the undoubted number one wide receiver. I would say arguably he could be a number two guy for Alex Smith, who he doesn't put up monster stats, but he's still consistent and doesn't make a lot of mistakes, which is what you expect in a high-end game manager type quarterback. So I would definitely say that he could be a top 25 wide receiver, which is what you would say. I would say he's probably going to be a top 20 wide receiver for me. And I think he can put up consistent. Um, I don't think he's going to have any monster weeks like we see from DeAndre Hopkins or Antonio Brown. I think he can consistently get good receptions uh, and good receiving yards. Um, not so much about the touchdowns because obviously they don't throw a lot of touchdowns to their wide receivers. Who knows? It could change. We saw Allen Robinson got 14 last year and Allen Hearns got a uh, 10. So who knows? But um, I think he's going to be a solid um, producer of receptions and, and uh, receiving yards in 2016, which makes me think he could be a, uh, a top 20 wide receiver for me. Yeah, thankfully as well, you mentioned not throwing uh, touchdowns to wide receivers. Thankfully, he did eventually catch uh 
quite a few touchdowns last season and we could finish. I remember two seasons ago that clock kept coming up on the during the games that the Chiefs wide receiver hadn't caught a ball in whatever 13 weeks or it just seemed to go on and on forever. So thankfully Jeremy Macklin did that last year, particularly after the bye last year, very, very solid in multiple games. Got injured then, uh, I think it was in the playoff game he might have got injured, uh, was it he sat out that there game uh, against the Texans. I'm not 100% sure if that was correct, but uh, then he's coming back into this season. I think there's a lot of production there. I think, as you mentioned, we're not looking for wide receiver one numbers, but you need them wide receiver twos as well to fill out and make a very solid lineup, and I think he can definitely do that. This year, uh, Jody, where in your mind do you think uh, is the correct value for Jeremy Macklin heading into uh, redrafts this season? I think I think Doug's spot on. I actually have Macklin projected to catch 83 balls for 1114 yards and seven touchdowns, which to me and PPR puts him at about wide receiver 18. So, uh, you know, down there about about where Doug said. But yeah. see, last year you saw Macklin's uh, yards per catch numbers dip a little bit from what his career had been to that point. But to me, that's not unexpected when you're dealing with uh, a Todd Peterson offense and Alex Smith at your quarterback who does not throw the, the, the deep ball at all. And then you had Jamal Trump. Charles out for the majority of the year, so it wasn't a surprise that you saw that. But, but what you did see is their offense um, get funneled through Jeremy Macklin because the Chiefs last year did not have much of a competent wide receiver core, and they still don't. They still haven't done a lot to improve it um, outside of Travis Kelsey. There is no established competent pass catcher. Yeah. So to me, Macklin's going to remain the, the primary target. And Brad Childress is the offensive coordinator. I don't see, think you'll least see a lot of change because, let I me mean, let's face it, this is Andy Reid's offense. So um, I think Macklin, as long as he stays healthy, it's been some, some concerns for him throughout his career. But as long as he stays healthy, uh, I don't see any reason to not expect him to be a, a wide receiver too. I mentioned his, his projection. So um, – He's someone that I, I, I certainly like to target uh, in, in fourth or fifth round whenever the value plays out for me. Um, definitely on the radar for me. Yeah, I agree. And I think he's one of those players that slides down the boards. He's not that kind of sexy name that some people will look at. You mentioned as well Travis Kelsey. He's somebody around this time last year. There was a lot, a lot of hype around him going into the season. And uh, he started the season like a house on fire with the, that two-touchdown game against the Texans. Then things kind of slowed down a little bit for him. Is he somebody this year you think that the value has regressed to the mean a little bit? Is he somebody that you're targeting at the tight end position? I don't make a lot of bold calls, but I actually have uh, Travis Kelsey currently in standard as my number two tight end. Just I just get a feeling that because the Kansas City has continued to kind of do nothing at that other wide receiver core, and I'm expecting them to be a little better running the ball, especially now that they actually have – in addition to Jamal Charles, you've got a couple of other uh, quality runners who can actually take some carries and help out a little bit there. I think that's going to open up some more opportunities for Cal- Kelsey. And now that he's got this contract extension, I-, I just get the feeling that him entering this third season is going to be a-, a big year for him. Like I said, I have him as my as currently as, as my number number two tight end and Doug knows uh, very well I don't make a lot of bold calls but uh, I'm a buyer uh, of Travis Kelsey I've got a uh, you know I've, I've drafted him a lot and and so far in these drafts that I've done and obviously the uncertainty as well around uh, Eifert at the moment with his injury status and then Jordan Reed we know his injury history over the last couple of years so uh, I think it is an interesting one he's kind of almost the default wide receiver two in that team at the moment uh, we had a topic for later on it makes sense now though to move it in with the Chiefs uh, Jamal Charles is he still going to be the workhorse going into the season with uh, West and Ware doing so well last year both them signed to uh, I think it was actually identical contracts this offseason they uh, spelled quite well later in the season 
season. Uh, Jamal Charge, do you think he comes back and gets that workhorse role? There's been you know talk that he's uh, not really going to be ready for training camp. It's really interesting. You know, obviously when you lose a guy like uh, Jamal Charles, you expect your offense to drop off. And it still did a little bit. Um, but I think that Charkandrick West and then eventually Spencer Ware, I think uh, I think it was because Charkandrick West actually got hurt. Um, both stepped in, did pretty well last year. West got a three-year extension, actually, this past offseason. I believe Ware got another year added to his. Okay. Um, and I believe Charles is now entering his age 28 season coming off of two ACL tears, one each knee over the past five years. And granted, medicine nowadays is a lot better than it was, say, 20 years ago, where ACL tears aren't a career ender. But I think it's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, he he. we don't know if he's going to be in training camp. Now, training camp is another five weeks or so away. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm more concerned if he's ready to even play in some of the preseason. Um, I, you know, training camp is still in, you know, August or, or late July. So take it for what it is. Um, but I'm not so convinced that he'll be the, the workhorse like we've seen in the past. I think they're going to, you know, want to keep him fresh. Like they, you know, like we've seen with other teams in the past, like Frank Gore last season was kept fresh because he's older. So they want to make sure he's ready <laughs> at the end of the season. And, um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just interesting because, Again, his injury history, you know, you always think of Jamal Charles as a, you know, running back one, given what he's done. And he's still, I think, talent-wise, an elite running back. But his age and his injury history makes me think that the the team isn't ready, isn't going to be ready to give him 20, 25 touches right out of the gate. And uh, I think that's where Charkander West and Spencer Ware come in. I still think he's a running back one, maybe a lower end, not a surefire top five. Um but no, I don't think we're going to see the same sort of role we've seen from Jamal Charles in the past. Um, maybe a little bit less, but I still think he'll be definitely up there in the upper echelon. But it'll be interesting to see how much they use Spencer Ware and uh, Charkandrick West uh, in the regular season now that they both showed that what they can do uh, last season. Yeah, that's the key one, Doug, is how much they use them in the regular season. Because I do think, you know, you get to the playoffs, that's where you really want to have players like Jamal Charles. Uh, if they think that they're going to go for a, a nice little run next season, possibly, they need to keep him fresh and uh, have him in there. But he's going kind of, you know, late second, early third in some drafts I've seen, particularly in redraft. And uh, with that ADP, Jody, is he somebody that you would target at that point? Or do you think that we're going to see kind of a more of a running back by committee approach? I do like Jamal Charles at the at the bottom of, of round two this year. Mm. I mean, you're going to obviously hope that, that he's going to stay healthy and you, you don't think he's going to uh, you know be unlucky and, and, and get hurt again. But, you know, I guess workhorse that depends on your definition of workhorse the traditional definition of workhorse is that three yards in a cloud of dust guy that gets 20 carries that's not the kind of no. running back that jamal charles is and that's not the kind of offense that andy reed uh shows but interestingly in like 2013 and 2014 when when um you look at jamal charles being healthy andy reed was someone who had a a 20 plus touch running back more than half the time but again that's that's all touches um, Last year, 71 carries, 364 yards, and uh, 21 catches, 177 yards, and he scored the five touchdowns in the five games. He was off to a great season, but he was averaging about 14 carries a season. However, you're looking at he was he actually also averaged five catches a season, so it's right there at that number. He's 19 touches a game. Now, like Doug said, now you've got two established um, capable replacements behind him that can help grind out those tough carries, maybe they, even though Jamal Charles, if I'm not mistaken, he's the NFL's all-time leader in yards per carry. Yeah, nearly he's five actually, yards. He's actually been 
a, a very good inside runner throughout his career too. But it's possible that he'll t- that, that that Spencer Ware, Charkanic West could take some of those short yardage carries away from him. That might limit his touchdown numbers. But I, I expect that fourteen to fifteen carry a number uh, a game number to be about you know what you see for the season. So sixteen games, I'd expect. 220 to 240 carries a game. That's going to be right around that that 14, 15 a game. And then he may play a little bit less of a role as a pass catcher. Maybe instead of catching four to five a game, maybe he drops down to three or four. But all in all, when you look at the body of work of what Jamal Charles done, in healthy, and he's getting up there in age, but there's no reason to expect if he's 100% healthy that he's not going to put up, again, wide receiver, I mean, excuse me, running back one numbers. And his current value is it's deflated. Because you have, you know, various factors in there. But the main, I think, is people are starting to worry about his age and then the second catastrophic knee injury. But uh, he's a tremendous draft value to me. And it all depends on what you do in round one and how yeah. you're approaching your draft. Zero running back versus starting off RBRB. Um, where his current ADP is, I think Jamal Charles is, is, is an excellent value. Yeah, I think uh, you know you mentioned you, well neither you know get some check downs as well from Alex Smith's going to add in some uh, extra if it's PPR leagues and you know getting the yards after the catch. We've seen two years ago, I believe it was, he had a lot of kind of you know check downs that he took all the way back to the house. So I think he's definitely a value. You mentioned if you went for you know if you have somebody like you know Antonio Brown uh, in that first round, maybe Odell Beckham, then you're coming back at the end of the second round. I think it is a, a huge huge value there to get somebody like that. Where in general uh, he would be going you know early in that first round over the last couple of years. So Definitely, definitely think there's a value there. There's a lot of questions. We covered a lot of Kansas City Chiefs stuff there, actually, more than I would normally on a podcast, but uh, it's good to, to dissect all the teams around the league. The next team up to dissect is the Arizona Cardinals. Last week, we talked about the Colts wide receivers, uh, you know, how we would rank them in general. Now, this week, this is one that's been talked on a lot of shows that I've listened in. It's one that still there's not a lot of clarification in. It's uh, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd, and John Brown, obviously, as the leading three candidates at the wide receiver position there. Not really a standout tight end and it's uh, you know Arians doesn't usually tend to use a lot and the the tight ends while uh, in his offense but overall these three guys I think there's enough to to feed them all around to be in the in the conversation but I'll let uh, you go first Jody out of those three guys what order would you put them in and uh, who would you be targeting at their current value well, I tell you what, with the Arizona receiving core, you ask three different analysts, you're going to get three different answers yeah. of, of what order they have these guys ranked in. You might get and three I different answers the, here. <laughs> <laughs> you might, but I looked at the current ADB over at myfantasyleague.com, okay? You've got, yeah. off the top, is it's Michael Floyd at 410. John Brown is exactly around later at 510. And then Larry Fitzgerald's at 609. So really, that's the order people are seeing it. And I and I, I got to say, I have concerns about Arizona, Arizona being able to sustain uh, the enough passing volume to have three relevant fantasy wide receivers. Because where they're being drafted, they're being drafted as fantasy starters in round four, five, and six. Last year, once David Johnson was established as their bell cow runner, uh, Carson Balmer's play dropped off pretty significantly. In the last six games, he only threw eight touchdowns. He only threw two interceptions. That's good. But overall, he became a lesser fantasy quarterback after being almost a dominant one the first two-thirds of the season. If that's going to be indicative of the kind of play we're going to be looking at behind with David Johnson, that's problematic. What I don't get about Michael Floyd is why he's being drafted first out of this, out of this, parent, out of this group. I just don't get it. Um, his career best is 66 catches. He's had one 1,000-yard season, and he's never surpassed six touchdowns. I don't understand why 
then you look at John Brown. He's, to me, Brown entering his third year, he's an ascending player. He just got his first 1,000-yard season. All of his numbers are, are going up, his receptions, his targets, his productivity. To me, John Brown is the ascending player here. And then you go to Fitz. Last year was great, but overall, to me, last year, as great as Larry Fitzgerald was, it stood out. He's on a slow but steady decline overall coming into that over the last three to four years. And it's not surprising to him being 33. He's even had talks uh, of this being his last year. Yeah. So to me, uh, the order I mentioned with Floyd Brown Fitz is a, is a little backwards. I would actually put Michael Floyd who is actually their third option. I'd put him last in that group. My projections real quick. Um, I actually have John Brown 70, uh, catching 70 balls for 1,022, seven touchdowns. That puts him as my wide receiver 26. I have Larry Fitzgerald right behind him as wide receiver 27. And I have Michael Floyd at 59 catches, 893 yards, and six touchdowns. Respectable numbers. But that has him all the way down at wide receiver 47 for me. So if that's my current value for him I, I obviously he's not worth the fourth round pick yeah. so to me i just don't understand the, the current adp there yeah i agree with you there and it's interesting almost the drafts that are that have been taken in is the opposite of what you've projected them but i have to agree with your projections overall floyd two years ago was somebody that i kind of got involved in the hype train there was a lot of talk going into that their season that you know big things were coming and he let a lot of people down then last year he had a step up again then he had the finger injury uh, towards the end of the season where he dislocated three fingers but overall i think he's uh, had a positive improvement last season again and going into this year people are probably expecting that step forward again larry fitzgerald you mentioned getting older i still think he's going to be a, a cont- contributor but there was no way he was going to keep that pace that he started last season with then you mentioned john brown he had over a thousand yards last season and there was a lot of last season that he was struggling with hamstring injuries as well and he was doubts going into games and he's a player that obviously is relying on his speed so hamstrings are a very valuable part you know if you're looking at trying to draft a safe floor player you're probably looking maybe more at going for fits and i think out of these i would be targeting john brown at his current value you mentioned 510 uh, i just think that he'll have some weeks unfortunately he'll have that ty hilton sort of mix where he'll have weeks where you might only get four points from him but then there's weeks that you're going to get two touchdowns and 120 yards so i think coming it all into the situation i think i would be taking john brown at his current value doug to finish up on those three guys uh, what's your order are you going to shake things up completely and uh, tell us that we're both wrong no no i don't like floyd a lot for some reason i don't uh, he supports maybe, the cavaliers maybe, yeah yeah along with yeah cavaliers um I think in 2016, at least, I, I think Michael Floyd um, is eventually going... I think Michael Floyd and John Brown are eventually going to be the two starting wide receivers. Um, but it's a matter of whenever Fitz retires or is let go or whatever it is. But you can't forget about Fitz. So just to real quickly do my order, I think I actually agree 100% with Jody. I have a Brown, Fitz, Floyd. And uh, that's what I'll stick with. I think Brown is definitely a player on the rise who didn't finish off the season strong. But I think both um, um, the Cardinals and um, and I can't seem to remember their their head coach now. Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians. I remember yeah. the GM for some reason, but um, <laughs> but um, I, I would say that both of them thought that he could have done better. And I just I like Brown's overall game a little bit better than Floyd. I'm not saying that Floyd isn't good by any means. I think he is. But um, Fitz is obviously he's getting a little bit older. Um, and uh, you know I was talking about that earlier with Jordy Nelson too, but. Um, it was really shocking. So Fitz, real quick, 11th, uh, he finished 11th in standard leagues last year uh, as of wide receivers and 7th in PPR leagues. 
it's really remarkable the kind of year he had. I remember in 2014, I think he had a really, really bad season or something like that. Um, so it was really interesting to see. Um, but yeah, just to sum it up, I, w- I would say that Brown is on the rise. Floyd is on the downfall. And I, I would say Fitz theoretically is on the downfall because of his age and, and you know, roles changing. So I would say uh, Brown, Fitz, Floyd. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. And then you mentioned, both of you mentioned uh, the possibility of Fitz, or Fitzgerald retiring. Uh, then if you're looking dynasty-wise, I think uh, Floyd's out of contract after next season. So that there pushes uh, John Brown's value in dynasty up a little tick more on that there side. Talking to one Fitz, we're moving on to another Fitz now. It's at the, the New York Jets. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick yet to resign with the Jets. Um, starting to look maybe, I've mentioned it here, I think Doug, since the first show you were on about do the Jets really want Ryan Fitzpatrick back? And uh, is there much of a downgrade? But before we get on to the downgrade, downgrade, what if he doesn't uh, re-sign? Do you think it affects uh, Marshall, Decker, and Matt Forte's value overall? And uh, Jody, we'll go to you first. Oh, absolutely. You're talking about possibly turning over what, to me, uh, the only standout for the Jets is their receivers. They've got two excellent receivers. After that, they have uh, almost nothing at tight end. And to me, you have a declining Matt Forte and a good offensive line, but I don't expect much out of Matt Forte. If you turn over an offense with that kind of weaponry to Geno Smith and his 57.8% completion percentage, career 27 touchdowns and 35 interceptions, hey, he's good as a runner, but he's not good as a passer. I would be it would be terrible if Geno Smith, you know, for, for Marshall and Decker, if, for Geno Smith take over quarterback. And it would actually be worse if Christian Hackenberg somehow got involved. Because this guy, <laughs> um, great as a freshman at Penn State, totally regressed over the last two years. And, and by all accounts, he struggled big time in OTAs with accuracy. The same issues that plagued him throughout uh the you know the the combine and and throughout his last two years at, at Penn State, um, you're talking uh, you know just major uh, decline for for both the two uh, the significant players in the Jets passing game, which are Marshall and Decker. Uh, if you take over, if you want to talk about Fitz, yeah, you want to hit on just Geno Smith first. Yeah, we'll go with Fitz. You want me to talk about Fitz? Okay, interesting. Let me say <laughs> what. Fitzgerald, he he like defines journeyman. I mean, this guy's played for, if I'm not mistaken, he's played for all 32 teams like three or four times each. I mean, the guy, if he had a collection of helmets, if he had a collection of helmets he played for, it would take up, you know, the entire wall of his house. But, but, But last year totally stands out as this anomaly season for him where he set all these career highs, you know, across the board. I mean, he was remarkably efficient in the red zone, 33 touchdowns. When you look at his career numbers, I mean, I, I'm expecting if he signs, and I actually do expect him to sign, but I do expect you know a regression to the mean. And when that happens, obviously it's going to have adverse effects on all the Jets' skill position players. And then you look at you know what the New York actually wants to do as an offense under Todd Bowles. You know they're trying to be a, a, a defensive run the ball type of club, so they're not typically the kind of offense you think that's going to be able to maintain you know two dynamic fantasy receivers like they did last year currently i don't even have larry fitzgerald projected it's because you know i'm not going to waste my time projecting guys who might not play or still potentially are an injury away from signing for another team however ballparking him again i'm expecting a regression back to the means even if he signs with the jets where he's established and had a great year i would think he's going to fall back up to about 3400 3450 passing yards 19 touchdowns 12 interceptions uh maybe another 200 and 
250 yards on the ground, a couple touchdowns. But, you know, those sound like to me, those sound like QB 24, QB 23, QB 25 numbers. He's not someone that I uh, I totally just don't think that, that, that the Jets offense is capable of producing those kind of numbers again. So obviously you're going to decline your projections on uh, both Marshall and Decker. Yeah, you mentioned obviously with the decline to the mean for Fitzpatrick. Um, do you think I I really don't see a huge difference? I know Jay, I'm not a big Geno Smith fan. I've been buying him up in uh, dynasty leagues purely to try and flip him if he does become the starter. And he's somebody that I think Fitzpatrick last year there was a lot of throws that he done on the field that you know related in positive plays for him, but should have been intercepted by all accounts. And I think his season last year, you mentioned it being an anomaly. I think it was an anomaly, but it was quite substantially lucky as well at the same time to to end up as good looking as it did um obviously you're downgrading them with Fitz going back to the main but how much are you going to downgrade them with uh, Geno Smith at the quarterback with Geno Smith as quarterback uh you know I I Brandon Marshall's still going to get his as as a as a PPR monster throughout yeah. his career. Even with poor quarterbacking in the past, he's still been relevant as as a PPR option. But off the top of my head, with Geno Smith pretending he's a 16 game quarterback, I, you know, I would drop Brandon Marshall down to uh, you know, I don't know, wide receiver 15, maybe even lower than that. And then Eric Decker would be you know somebody I probably would actually drop down to a wide receiver four. Just because I, I just can't see a New York Jets offense that's going to probably struggle to run the ball. And quarterbacked by a talent like Geno Smith, I just couldn't possibly see being uh, very interested in, in drafting any of them. Yeah, so just to touch on it real quick. I still think in the end, uh, Fitz will sign with the team because reality-wise, there's no other place that will really want to pay Fitz anywhere close to the money that he's going to get from the Jets. Because at this point... I don't think there's a team that would be willing to bring somebody like Fitz in, learn a new offense, especially this late in the offseason when we're about to hit training camp, weren't even there for OTAs, and then be the starting quarterback. So I think New York is the best chance for him uh, to play, obviously. I think that he would be the much better choice if um, it was between him or Geno Smith. Um, so I think eventually he'll end up there. But I would say there's there's rightful cause for concern. Um, you know, they just have been playing hardball with each other so far. And nothing's come about it except for just random reports everywhere about him wanting to take a one-year deal and stuff like that. Nothing has been progressive. Um, but moving on. So I would say there's a major downgrade between Gino, or I'm sorry, for, between Fitz and Gino in terms of the other skill players. So, um, you know, Brandon Marshall. If it was Gino, I would just real quickly, I don't want to spend too much time. I know Jody covered a lot of it really well. Um, I would say that Brandon Marshall is a high-end wide receiver, too, for me, if he uh, has Geno, because I think Brandon Marshall is the undoubted number one. Um, Eric Decker, I wouldn't go as far as a wide receiver for. I could see him being a top 30 wide receiver, and part of the reason is they don't have really any other options, at least at wide receiver or a tight end. Or tight end, I think they're the last in, in tight end production. Yeah. So you're not going to have to worry about someone else stepping in. Um, they obviously have Matt Forte, Kyrie Robinson, and, and um, Bilal Powell, that running game. Uh, you know, I, I think Bilal Powell and uh, and Matt Forte will get some some looks, obviously, in the pass game. But I would say for the most part, I think if Geno Smith is the quarterback, Brandon Marshall maybe top 15, Eric Decker maybe top 35, um, maybe close to top 30, so like a mid-tier wide receiver three, because I don't think he can handle uh, Geno Smith that is handling um, – sustaining two wide receivers, even as talented as they both are. Um, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, 
I see that Brandon Marshall is probably a top 10 wide receiver for me. I don't expect him to throw for 30 plus touchdowns again. Um, but I think 25 or so could be nice. You know, you get like a, you know, a game with two touchdowns every now and then. Um, but I would say Brandon Marshall is a top 10 wide receiver for me. If, uh, if Fitzpatrick is there and I would say that Eric Decker, probably a low end wide receiver too, probably a top 25 for me. Um, but that, those are just my predictions. But I think the, the team itself and the offense will be much better. And I think there's no doubt about it with Fitzpatrick at quarterback in 2016. Yeah, I think, well, continuity-wise with the, the rapport they built up last year, I think there's there's no doubt about that. It's still quite strange that they've let it linger on this far. We'll see what happens uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, moving on, I mentioned at the start of the show wasn't much news over the last uh, kind of week or so since our last show, but uh, a couple of ones to uh, slot into the Believe It or Not category. We have two stories this week. Kobe Fleener obviously signed with the New Orleans Saints this offseason. Drew Brees has been talking him up in a major way over the last couple of days, saying that uh, he believes that he's always open in practice. Obviously, <laughs> a lot can look very good uh, when you're you know, really not hitting uh, at this stage of the season. But uh, Kobe Fleener, are you believing the uh, hype that Drew Brees is putting out there, uh, Jody? Is he somebody, you know, I, th- I think he's just going to keep going up draft boards, but I'm still not uh, 100% convinced. Uh, me neither. You know, it could be Cam Talk camp talk designed to boost his confidence you know the, the new orleans system is notoriously difficult for new players to learn so uh, overall i'm actually believing that fleener and both dwayne allen actually were criminally underused in indy so i think his size and his ability to separate I and mean, making him an intriguing red zone option but there's a lot of mouths to feed in new orleans and as that hype you mentioned continues to heat up around kobe fleener he's going to cease to be you know a value yeah. and, he, and he's going to start to become a little more uh you know risk adverse for, from from my liking uh generally when i'm drafting tight ends um i mentioned that i liked kelsey and they're both available at around the same range i'm going to take that uh, you know nine times out of ten but it's all about you know it continues to be it's all about rob gronkowski and then for me it's just a waiting game you know i've seen plenty of drafts where i can just wait 10, 12 rounds and just get jason witten who i think is a great bounce back candidate uh, especially in a ppr so um, there's a lot to like about Fleener, but again, uh, I expect his ADP to rise, and that's going to kill any potential value for me. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to just keep going up, and I think it's going to be too much uh, of a cost for me to want to have him. You just you mentioned there, uh, Jason Witten, you know, a bounce back candidate. Obviously, Romo was out the whole season last year; that plummeted his value. But he's somebody you know we've been focusing the last couple of weeks, particularly on dynasty leagues, and he's somebody in dynasty who's pretty much uh, free at the moment. But in redraft, he's somebody I think that could be, as you mentioned there, have a bounce back and be you know under criminally underrated heading into the season. Just your your thoughts on him when you when you brought him up. Oh, yeah. Like I said, absolutely, especially in PPR and redraft. Yep, yep. Very interesting to me in round 10 or 12. Dynasty, obviously. The, no. the great thing about, <laughs> so about Jason Witten has been throughout his career, the guy's just been a horse. He's never missed a game. I mean, you know you're going to get 16 games. Tony Romo's back healthy. Des Bryant's back healthy. And now they've got this running back y'all might have heard of. So you're talking about really opening up some opportunities for, for Witten to bounce back. But when it comes to Dynasty, you know, you're looking at maybe plugging him in as your tight end two or tight end yeah, three yeah. really deep roster just because you can't expect any more than, you know, two or three more seasons from Yeah, I'd be very surprised, actually, if it, if it goes past this upcoming season. But I think there could be value to have him uh, in redraft this year. Next up, uh, I'll let you go, Doug, for us in this one. It's Josh Ferguson uh, of the Indianapolis Colts running back. We talked last week about Frank Gore. You mentioned him already on this show about him being 
let's call him a little bit older than the uh, the average running back in the NFL, but Pagano is uh, talking him really uh, up as well, similar to the Breeze uh, Fleener situation. He is uh, talking about splitting him out wide, getting him carries, uh, obviously, in the backfield. Josh Ferguson, do you think he's somebody who can come in there and uh, really put up a fight against Frank Gore uh, after all the points we made in last week's show? I don't think he can he can come in and put a fight up. I think Frank Gore is the unquestioned starter. Yeah. The question is, is um, more so who's that number two guy for them? They have Robert Turbin. They have Tyler Varga. They have Josh Ferguson. They really Jordan didn't Todman. have a Jordan Todman as well from, from previously from, I think, Pittsburgh or Jacksonville. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who takes the number two because I think as, as Frank Gore enters his age 33 season, age 33 season <laughs> as a running back, It'll be interesting to see how much they actually use him. I don't think we're going to get him to see him taking 20 carries a game. I don't think we're going to see him hitting, you know, five catches a game or or 20 touches. I think he's going to be a number one in in title, but I think there's going to be someone who's going to need to step up as, as a strong number two to spell him because I think they'll want to keep him fresh like they did last season uh, during like the first half of the season, bring him back late in the season, um, and really start to give him some carries when they need him the most, I would think. Um, I think Josh Ferguson could be somebody to keep in mind as a handcuff. I think, obviously, Frank Gore's age, again, could be an issue when it comes to injuries um, and stuff like that. He's always kept in great shape. He's really been consistently healthy. Um, but it'll be interesting to see who takes that number two role. I don't think someone's going to automatically become a, a big-time pass catcher because they have so many guys there. T.Y. Hilton, Dante Moncrief, uh, Philip Dorsett. They have Dwayne Allen as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be more so who's going to come in and take that number two role. And with all the hype, now granted this is OTA hype, this is offseason hype, <laughs> it could be Josh Ferguson, who's an undrafted free agent, I think, Illinois. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I would think he's more of a handcuff right now than anything. I don't think we're going to see him sort of take, uh, you know, fight Frank Gore for the starting role. I don't think that's happening. But it'll be more so how many carries could someone take away from Frank Gore? So I think that's what Ferguson will be. Yeah, anything to add on that, Jody? Uh, yeah, the biggest obstacle for someone like uh, Ferguson is learning pass protection on the NFL level. And we saw last year how uh, Andrew Luck got killed behind that line. So. My, my expectations are here is that when they spell Frank Gore, they're going to put someone who can actually get in there and help out more in pass protection than what we've seen in the past. And if Ferguson struggles with that area, and it would not be out of the question for that to be for a rookie, uh, he's not going to see the field. However, the positives are there's very little real competition in front of him with Robert Turbin and Jordan Todman and Frank Gore. I wrote down that he was 42 years old. I'm actually surprised <laughs> that he's 33. I mean, credit to Gore for maintaining uh, fantasy relevance, especially even last year with, with garbage at quarterback and just a struggle. He still actually had a pretty good season. And he can have another good season. He's actually become more of a you know, somebody who battled injuries early in his career, but he's become a workhorse. That's a big term for us in, in the show. But he <laughs> He actually has become quite a workhorse in the latter part of his career. And he's mentioned that he's, his goal is to rush for, you know, a thousand yards here and what's expected to be his last season. It might take him 333 carries to get there. But if that's a realistic goal um, for him, then 
And that's going to mean a little bit less playing opportunity. Uh, he's not someone, Ferguson, right now, sh- that should be on anybody's radar in redraft. Dynasty, there's some interest there because you can't expect Gore to play more than this year, honestly. So uh, if Ferguson can win that number two role that Doug was talking about and make some noise, then, then he's got some uh, some nice potential going forward. He's somebody I'd look into you know, in the second or third round of, of a, a, you know, a rookie-only draft. Yeah, no, that's uh, very good takes there, guys. And uh, just before we finish up, obviously, I mentioned at the start of the show, Gridiron Experts. Uh, it's gridironexperts.com on Twitter. It is at Gridiron Experts. Jody is on Twitter at Jody Smith NFL. With uh, Gridiron Experts, anything coming up ahead of the season that you really want to uh, get out there for the listeners to hear about? Well, actually, we've got uh, 10 days left in the Gridiron Experts uh, early bird get, uh, giveaway. Uh, we actually have uh, we're giving away some uh, My Fantasy League 25 draft spots. That's pretty nice. We're giving away some uh, MLF 10s for people. Nice. And nice. Uh, one lucky signee will get a custom NFL jersey with any name they want shipped to them. And yes, we'll ship it overseas. So uh, <laughs> that's something pretty exciting. It's actually pinned uh, on the top. Uh, of the uh, Gridiron Experts Twitter account. So uh, you mentioned the handle already. So yeah, go check that out. Yeah, definitely get involved. Uh, You can never have too many free MFL 10 entries and uh, I'll be getting involved in that myself. Doug's obviously on Twitter at NFL, and uh, earlier uh, Jody mentioned the piece that came out today on uh, Inside the Pylon. Anything else uh, that you want to plug? Do you want to give a quick extra mention to that or anything else? Uh, No, no. Um... No, it'll be interesting to see. I I was actually talking to uh, Mike Riggs, who actually uh, co-owns uh, Red Iron Experts with uh, Jody. He actually said we the might have to slow down on the content. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've been putting out too much content, I yeah. guess. Um, so it'll, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, but a lot of great things uh, come that way. I do right over at Red Iron Experts. Didn't want to take that away from Jody. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but there's a great staff over there and a lot of great fancy minds and, and things are just looking up, especially with the new membership that was launched. Uh, but no, the piece that came out today with Inside the Pylon, um, nine bounce back players I look at. Um, I will tell you that Randall Cobb is my number one guy on there. Um, but uh, yeah, be sure to check that out on InsideThePylon.com. Um, nine fancy players uh, that I think will bounce back in a major way in 2016. Not much else I don't know about this week. Um, especially with Gridiron Experts needing to maybe slow down the content because we have so much going. Um, but no, I wouldn't say much more than that. But yeah, like Jody said, all the great things, the MFL 10s, MFL 25s, the free custom jersey, um, the early bird special um, for Jody, who, who you know, I'm sure he's used to those. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I would uh, I would not add much more than that. Uh, that there's perfect obviously there's uh, this week we actually put up our dynasty ranking stock on uh, overtimeireland.com uh, so anyone that wants to check that out uh, James McGuire who also does fantasy uh, work on the site his rankings are up there too if you want to get uh, we got some thoughts on Twitter over the last few days and them so it's interesting to get feedback on those uh, over the last couple of days too uh, I've linked up with NFL Euroshop and uh, you can get uh, a discount off their clothing there and uh, also they kick something back to Overtime Ireland so uh, if you want to get involved in that uh, I've been tweeting out the links don't be afraid to, to buy yourself some gifts on uh, NFL Euroshop and uh, finally to finish up uh, Dynasty Frank on Twitter from the Ball Rush podcast he's obviously Italian I'm Irish and uh, I don't know if the two guys here are big into soccer but 
uh, a big game coming up on Wednesday night uh, in the in the European Championships. Ireland really needing no win. Italy not so much, but uh, we're coming up with a forfeit to uh, see what uh, happens. Uh, Dynasty Frank's meant to come on the show in the next couple of weeks. So any forfeit ideas on Twitter, do send them my way. And uh, obviously that is at Overtime Ireland. But uh, really and truly, uh, with all the other stuff said, we've gone almost an hour. It's been a lot of fun talking to both guys. Uh, appreciate their time. And uh, until I'm back with the next show, possibly this weekend, stay tuned to the Twitter feed for that one. Uh, of course, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.